Welcome to another episode of the Intersection Podcast. I'm your host, Annalisa Wade. I'm a first-year MBA student here at Scheller College of Business. I'm super excited to be here. We have two amazing guests, Marche and Katie Bedora. If you guys could just tell us a little bit about yourself before we actually let them know what we're going to get into. Thank you. So I am so excited to be here. Um, as Annalisa said, I'm Marche Plachette, and I am a senior delivery consultant with Franklin Covey. I also happen to be a leadership coach, and I am the co-author of the recently published book, Change, How to Turn Uncertainty into Opportunity. And um, just really happy to be here to talk about change. Awesome. awesome. Uh, my name is Katie Badura. I'm an assistant professor here at the Scheller College of Business. I teach leadership here. I do leadership research. Uh, and I'm really excited to talk about emerging technologies and organizational change, as, as uh, Marche said. It's very exciting to have two amazing professionals in the change industry. And we're going to sit here and talk about how emerging technology is driving change and how leaders are having to adapt and evolve to their leadership styles, their community of employees that they're working with, and how they're adapting to change as well. So we're going to just jump right in. How do you guys feel that emerging technology is currently impacting the business landscape? Uh, sure. So I, I mentioned I'd take this one. Uh, emerging technology is something that has really been at the forefront recently on a lot of what we're talking about in business schools and really in the broader society. But in reality, technology has always been changing. We started with technology millennia ago. Uh, we have had decades, centuries of change. And right now what we're seeing in organizations is the introduction of artificial intelligence, generative AI. We're seeing people working with robots. We're seeing sustainable technology that is reducing costs uh, in how we're doing things and you know, really striving to work towards managing issues we're having with the climate. Um, and culture in you know the broader society. And so we have a lot there in terms of different technologies that are coming out that we're unpacking. And you know the impact that that ends up having on what people are doing is pronounced in day to day. And I think we're going to spend really the rest of this podcast unpacking mm -hmm. what those things are. Yeah. And kind of add into that, can you think of any other technological changes you've seen in your professional career or maybe while you were in school that had a certain type of shift? Like I know for me, we went from razor phones, like the flip phones, right, <laughs> to iPhones, which is a pretty drastic shift. And that was a big enough change for me. Even what were they, cricket phones, like Nextel, Blackberries, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Blackberries were the thing. That was the thing. Yes, I remember teaching uh, <laughs> classes on how to manage our calendars on Blackberries, and that is so passe. Yeah. So yeah. Um, one of the things that we were talking about earlier was that even with technology, texting, mm -hmm. professors, teachers, that's in the world of work that I'm in, we're getting text. It used to be email, and it felt a little bit invasive when we started doing that, that we're getting texts about business throughout the day, outside of the work hours. But that's something that's changing. Do you get that? 
Yeah, so um, periodically either text or um, even, you know, Slack or, you know, sort of those Teams messages. It's it's definitely broken the barriers down. Um, the other thing that I would say that's been a huge shift is just the cloud, being able to yeah. put work in and collaborate uh, with people across boundaries. That's not something that existed when I was you know, tinkering on the old Mac computers yeah. Um, yeah. when I was learning how to use a computer back in elementary school. But now I can collaborate with people who are in different places in real time. And I think that's a fundamental shift yeah. too beyond phones. Yeah. So as a leader, right, I'm used to you email me nine to five, maybe seven if I have one of those crazy jobs, you know, eight o'clock. But now I'm getting an email. 8 a.m., 7 a.m., 2 a.m., I'm getting a text message outside of working hours or during working hours. Mm -hmm. I'm having to figure out how do I manage my calendar, my Teams, my Slack, my FaceTime now. People, you know, people do business on FaceTime, text messages. As a leader, how do you adapt to those type of shifts of, you know, and, and still have that same level of productivity? Yep. So when change happens, it really does, change is happening so fast, sometimes we don't even realize it. And for as leaders, it is important, or really for anybody for that matter, things are happening so fast. When change happens, people are wanting to know, it's like, okay, what is this? Why is this? And what does that mean for me? Because it does mean I'm working, I don't have an eight to five, yeah. you know, hours. And we get clarity about, like, this is happening. People are sending things on Slack. I am getting emails, text messages all through the night. And it means that we have to get to a point where we understand this is a new experience and how do I manage it. There's this pattern of change, and I don't know if this is even the appropriate time to, to speak to it. But there's this pattern of change. It's understanding you're used to doing things, yeah. right? It's this zone of status quo, like everybody understands we are masters of whatever it happens to be. And then there's this zone of disruption. And it's where you realize something has changed, and I'm not as productive. It, there's a cost. I'm not as productive as I have been. This is costing me something, whether it is confidence of knowing what I'm doing, or this is slowing me down, or I don't feel like I have the equipment to keep up, or whatever it happens to be. And we have to get to a point, and leaders also must get to a point where it's like, okay, this change is happening. I'm accepting. It's a point of decision where I'm going to indulge. And then it's a space of adoption where you do have to figure out your calendar. You do have to figure out what works. You do have to try some things and recognize, like, maybe this is going to be the best way to set some boundaries for people to communicate with me or not. That's the space, like, understanding this is real change. I'm in it. It's happened. And, and, and really getting some clarity about how we manage it. And to Marche's point, the boundary piece, I think, is really important. And so, you know, for me, there are certain times that I look at my email. You know, now I have a little child. I don't do work when he's awake. And other people know that. I've drawn that boundary. And so I will work, you know, from the time he goes to daycare until the time he comes home. And if there's something burning, I'll come back to the computer and I'll work a little bit longer. But I've drawn that boundary and I've, in, I've communicated that to people. And I think as a leader, it's also important to recognize that when your employees go home, they do have home life. And so you need to respect that home life. And so even if people are bringing devices home with them, that doesn't necessarily mean they're on the clock the whole time. And so having those conversations and figuring out what the boundaries and expectations are 
uh, during COVID for me, it was shutting the laptop and leaving it in my office. And that office door was a boundary for me where I didn't walk through that door unless I was ready to work. And that's really important to draw those boundaries. And as a leader to respect that home life sort of transition because it's gotten really blurry because of the pandemic and because of remote work. And so now that we have that blurriness, we need to figure out how we still respect the fact that people need the time to decompress from work. We don't want people working 80 hours a week, uh, 90 hours a week, because we're just going to burn those people out. Completely agreed. So like on that point, we talked about text messages, we talked about Slack and different things that are kind of disruptors, as Marche said, to work-life balance. As a leader, how can you help your your team to maybe not work those 80 hours or just continuously do work, do work and nonstop? And how do you help them set boundaries? So not only for yourself, but for your team, how do you do that? So for me, it's trying not to send those messages to people outside of those hours. And so it might be scheduling an email for the next morning. Holding that back, if you know somebody has that tendency, I think is really helpful. And having those conversations. A lot of times employees are doing what they think they need to do to be successful. Most employees are trying to be successful in the workplace, either average or above average employees. And so if they think that you expect them to do something, they're going to try and do it for you. And so unless something is burning where you really need it back um, really immediately, even putting in the email, you don't need to respond to this until you're back in the office. This small sort of cues for your employees tells them it's okay. It's okay for you not to pick this up right now. I'm sending it so I don't forget, but this should wait until tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just going to say I think that that is, is awesome. And also engaging team members in how does this look? Right. So let's agree. Like it's it's I think communication is really key through, you know, the the, the whole process. I love everything that you're talking about. And it is like so we're creating a, ch- a change together. I don't respond to to um, certain things after a particular time, but getting them involved in how does this look? How will we communicate with each other? How will we what technology will we use for what? Right. So getting team members involved in what Um, the process of anything might look like because it becomes change for them as well. And I have a a collaborator here at Tech. Her name is Tiffany Johnson. And she actually has something in her email signature that alludes to this. And so she doesn't necessarily say it to people. But in the bottom, it says, my email may have landed in your inbox during a time you're not working. You know, it might come back, you know, send it back when you're sort of ready. Uh, it's much more eloquent than what yeah. I'm saying here. Yeah. But, but it's the sentiment that she's not necessarily saying it up front. She's putting it in the bottom and giving people the space, you know, to send things back when they have the, the time and sort of being transparent that she recognizes that. And I, I always really admire her for having that sort of piece there. I think it's really speaks to wellness and balance and all those things that we hope for. Yeah, I might, I might have to steal that one. That's, a, that, that's pretty good. There was a point in time when I was using, I think it's called Boomerang or something like that, where you could schedule emails mm-hmm. out. Yeah. Um, so let's say if I'm working until 2 a.m., because sometimes I'm a night owl, and I would just hammer out all these emails and schedule them for 7 a.m. So it seems like I'm up, even if I may, may or may not mm-hmm. be. That was very helpful. But I think what she has in her signature, too, that could definitely help just let people know that, hey, I respect your boundaries. This is how I work, but don't feel like you have to match the way I work. And I guess that kind of leads into my next point about culture. What you were saying, Katie, about you can kind of, and Marche, about you can kind of create 
the an agreement within your team of this is how we are going to work. Mm-hmm. So I guess my question is, let's say you work with a large corporation and there's a set culture of working hard, you know, there really is no work-life balance. How can you as a leader within your team, within that organization, create your own culture so that you're leading your team to be a specific way, even though the company culture might be maybe more aggressive or less, you know, entitled to boundaries? Mm-hmm. You know, before we started this, Marcia and I were both talking about how we're really people-focused, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's what this comes back to when you're talking about leadership is it's putting your employee first mm-hmm. and bringing this back to emerging technologies, right? We're starting to bring in robots. We're bringing in artificial intelligence where it can be really scary to have people be a part of the conversation, be a part of that process. But if you're putting your employees first, that solves a lot of problems. And so even if you have this overarching, you know, tough culture that you're operating in, if you have a subculture in your team where you're able to put your employees, you know, not necessarily on a high pedestal, but you're showing that you care about them, you have consideration for them, that is going to be something that shines through even in a tough culture because they're going to have you to go to. Yeah, that's so good. Engagement, it's a word that is so utilized in the workplace, <laughs> but it's such a vital thing. So you got to get people engaged, and culture is how the majority of the people operate the majority of the time. So Katie's right. When you get people, your people involved in, like as leaders, you give the vision, right? But you involve people in how does this look? And when you get people involved in sharing what they think would be good, they buy into it rather than, and this is with anything, so change of culture, change of technology that we'll be using, whatever it is. If we say, this is what we're doing, now do it, you're not going to get it. It's not going to work so well. But when you say, this is what I would like, how I would like for us to work, it's like our quality, our standards are very high. I know everybody works really hard. We've got to figure out, like, what are the tools that help us to be as efficient and as effective as we could possibly be? And how does that look for you all? And when you get people sharing, it works. And going back to something Marsha said about sort of, you know, engaging and having the subordinates be a part of the conversation. And so one of the best ways to influence people is actually to have employees be a part of the conversation. And so if you are trying to forcefully, you know, tell people what they have to do, they're not necessarily going to be super excited about it. And I want to be clear, there's times in the workplace you have to take more of a commanding style and say something has to be done. But if you're able to bring employees into the conversation, if you're able to have them be a part of the decision, be a part of the change, they're more likely to buy in because it's not something they're necessarily being told to. They feel ownership. They feel as though they were a part of that process in creating whatever outcome or whatever change. And so, you know, a lot of these technologies can be scary but exciting. And if they're a part of that conversation, they're going to be more likely to be willing to you know, maybe try to work with a robot in their day-to-day work or figure out how they could use artificial intelligence to make their day a little bit easier because they had a process in creating a procedure or, you know, rules around how to implement this. And so if they're a part of that conversation, it's just going to make them a little bit more excited rather than scared. Absolutely. So on that point, let's shift gears and let's focus on AI for just a little bit. What if the change is being from a bottoms-up approach, and it's not the leader that's saying, hey, I want you to use AI, you need to implement this into your work so you can be more efficient. What if it's the team members that are like, 
we're using AI to get our work done because of what we talked about before, the work-life balance of boundaries. How can I be more productive, more efficient in a smaller amount of time? Mm -hmm. AI can help you do those things. So as a leader, if your team is kind of approaching you with emerging technology, let's say AI, let's say if you're resistant to that type of change because you want your team to work mm -hmm. in a certain way, I think that's probably a common thing. How does a leader react to his or her team wanting that change? Upward influence. It is tough, man. <laughs> it, it is the question I always get when I teach, and I'm, I always struggle with it. Do you have any uh, suggestions, Marcia, as a change expert? Well, so one thing is it is so important for us to just be aware as leaders, like, change is happening. So we should almost be like a captain of a ship, like, looking to see, like, what's going on, keeping a pulse of what's happening. So we know AI. We know I hate to mention this, this is nothing that I necessarily do and I, I respect it, but we know that TikTok is a big thing and people yeah. will do whatever is happening there, right? So it's important for us to keep a pulse on what's happening because students, colleagues, direct reports, contributors, they are going to change with popular cultural things yeah, that are happening, the right? The trends that are happening, they are going to change with that. And as leaders, it's important for us just to stay abreast, try to stay one step ahead and get comfortable with the changes. And then when it happens, you know, just know that as leaders, I always say, we're people too. And so as leaders, it's important for us to get clarity about, okay, what just happened? I've already said this before, but it's important. What's happening? Why is this happening? And what does this mean for me? Everybody should be asking that. But as leaders, it's like, all right, so students are, are using this. They're doing AI now. Now, let me say, I'm really curious, and you can answer this question. When I was in school, people were reprimanded big time. You could get kicked out of school for plagiarizing. Right. So now we have AI that can really make anybody sound extremely intelligent. So how does that work? <laughs> That's big time change. Yeah, it's been a process, you know, in academia trying to figure out that balance. And I think we're still working on it pretty strongly, to be honest. And faculty are taking different stances. Some have, you know, a no artificial intelligence policy. Some have a you should use it. And I think where a lot of us land is, you know, are there critical thinking skills required in the assignment? And if there are, that's where AI sh maybe shouldn't be a part of the conversation because we're trying to have you think about something instead of the robot thinking about something. Mm -hmm. You know, from the flip side, it's about making sure our students here at Tech walk out with the skills and the toolkit to be successful. And so... You know, in my mind, there are going to be moments where we might be doing a disservice not to have our students using it because, you know, to the to the original question and bridging the two together, those skills that they're learning, being able to use that technology can end up helping to make their work easier. Mm -hmm. And it might have a place in what they're doing if they're iterating with the artificial intelligence to come up with a better solution. Mm -hmm. It can help potentially to create that better solution. And, you know, when when thinking about how that ends up impacting, you know, a leader's willingness to adopt mm -hmm. a certain yeah. technology, our students are walking out the door, learning these things, wanting to use them. It's going to make people want to work at your company if they're allowed to use them, you know. And so from that, being willing to learn and educate yourself and having that growth mindset is going to be so important because it's about figuring out when these technologies are appropriate or inappropriate to use rather than 
whether you're necessarily going to use them because they're here and they're here to stay and your employees are going away. Your employees are going to be using them and it's about making sure that you as a company are on the same page yeah. and you know in the classroom that you're on the same page with your instructor and certainly the plagiarism piece it's it's tough and it's forced a lot of changes in how we're really doing the nature of academic work but it's also forcing a lot of changes into just simply how people are handling the business landscape. So you just went through the process that is a very practical process that I always encourage clients to go through. What you just said is like it really is kind of going through an adoption or adaption phase, trying new things, trying to understand. Is it because it's not so one that's not going away. The growth of technology is never going away. Right. AI in 10 years, five years, probably there will be something even greater or very different. Technology grows so quickly. But it really is as leaders when you're saying it's coming from below and they are introducing it. It I really do think that it is just exploring how can we integrate this? How can we use it and yet still ensure that our students are still using critical thinking and they still walk away with the excellence of this institution that mm-hmm. you're so committed to. Yeah, and I can just speak on it from as a student. I remember there was a panel during orientation and we talked about AI, can it be used, can it not be used? And at this time I wasn't really using Chat GPT to the degree in which I do now, right? And there were some professors who were I was one of them. Oh gosh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but there were I won't name make any names. Um who were, no, you cannot yeah. use it. And then there were some, oh, well, maybe. And then there were some, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I feel like as a student or as a growing leader, a growing professional working under a leader, you do want to rally behind the leader that is encouraging you to mm-hmm. move with the way technology is moving. Mm-hmm. So embracing the use of AI. If a professor tells me, you can absolutely use it. It may or may not help you use it to your discretion. I actually feel less inclined to use it mm-hmm. in a way that won't be beneficial to me. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if they're playing, like, mind games on me or whatever, <laughs> but the way in which a leader can break that down to someone under them, it's kind of like, oh, well, I do want to learn. I do want to make sure I'm getting everything that I came here for at Georgia Tech for my education. So I will use it in ways that will be beneficial but not ways that will hinder my growth and that will stop me from you know, using critical thinking. But when someone's like, you can't use it, maybe this is the Sagittarius in me or the rebel in me, but if someone's like, you can't, I'm like, well, why? Now you want to. Yeah, now, now, well, yeah, now I want to use it. And she said, or he said that this won't work to get anything done. Well, I'm going to prove them that I can actually make this work. So it's almost like just rallying behind that change, at least for millennials, that really makes us feel good. Yeah. And I think what it comes down to, it, it goes keep, for me, it keeps going back to the critical thinking and, you know, having sat on the panel and being the person who said, don't use it in my class. <laughs> for me, no, it, it's good. The reason for me is, you know, a lot of what I do is asking people to reflect on their past experiences. And artificial intelligence can't reflect on your past experiences for you. For, you know, some of the other folks who were on the panel, they were talking about identifying code or some of right. these other pieces where AI can certainly help you to iterate, to figure out novel solutions to problems you're facing. But you still have to know your stuff because if you don't know your stuff you could reasonably hand in something that is just wrong we've found with ai that 
artificial intelligence, ChatGPT has made up citations. Oh, really? Yeah, you know, they make up citations. So they'll cite Smith at all, and Smith never said that. And so if you're not doing your homework and checking on things, you might end up, you know, doing wrong by your assignment, your company. And so it's about always really having your foot on the pedal or your hand on the wheel, so to speak, and not completely handing over to the technology. So let me tell you something that's really key to what you just said. It's important that we share with people why. With change, emerging change that we're using or that we've decided not to use, when they understand that, like, that makes sense. Yes. Right? So when in the process of, like, this is a new thing, every it's it's here, and it's here to stay, and it's evolving, and completely understand it's like she's saying, like, no AI. And I think when people understand, like, oh, okay, this is why for this kind of program, we don't want to use it, it clicks, and then they, I think that it it just makes sense. So in change, I do think that it is very important. As I've said a couple times already, it's like, what's happening? Why are we doing or not doing this? And what does this mean Mm -hmm. for me? So what if you have a leader that is just resistant? This happens (laughs) a lot. I don't like technology. We never used it before. I don't see the need. We've been doing just fine. Our numbers are good. We're not using it. No. Are there any strategies that you guys have seen or that you've used to actually kind of remove some layers to get them open and less resistance to technological change, especially an AI type resource, something that can literally change someone's entire work? I have strategies, but I don't think that they'd be adaptive. (laughs) You know, I I think it's tough because when you have somebody that resistant, educating isn't necessarily going to help move the needle because they're really, they're stuck in their ways and they have more power than you. I often say, you know, try to pivot at some point, you know, promote, get promoted, get out of that situation so that you can do what you want. And that's not necessarily something I always like to say is try to find something that better aligns with your interests. But if you find that you're not able to sort of move the needle, that's eventually, I think, the end point for a lot of those people is they become deeply dissatisfied in their role when they're not able to implement those. And so I don't like to start there. I, I think you can maybe try to subtly influence and be transparent. But A lot of people don't realize they're using a lot of these technologies in their day-to-day life. When you are typing into Bing or Google and it finishes typing Mm -hmm. out your statement, that is sort of the predictive piece of, you know, some of these technologies. And so you're using it. People just don't always realize it. So it might not always be labeling the technology, but saying sort of what it can help you do, going back to that why you're using it and what it is, that could be a starting point, I think. You know, I also think... It's interesting because there are different reactions or responses that people have to change, and you just mentioned one of them, and I want to give perspective to it. There are five very common reactions, and one is to move. Like, some people are ready. Like, let's just do this. Let's go. Yeah. 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 So there are some people who minimize. It's like, I'll do what needs to be done, or I'll, I'll get with this. I was kind of, well, probably I was more of a resistor. I just switched to 
Apple iPhone. Don't judge me. <laughs> we're, we're cutting that out. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. So don't date me. Um, <laughs> but there are those of us who minimize, and it's like, I know that things are changing, but I don't really want to change with the change. I'll be compliant. I'll do up to the point that I need to get by or to, you know, integrate to the point that's necessary. There are people who wait to see what's happening and how is this going to impact, you know, everybody. And if it works, then they'll join in. There are people who resist, and that's what you have just spoken of, and there are leaders who resist. And that is, they don't like it. They have very valid reasons in their own, from their own perspectives why this is not a good idea. And then there are people who quit, and they say, I don't want to be a part of it. I'm not going yeah. to be, and they don't. And to be honest with you, I, I mentioned all of those because there are advantages and disadvantages mm-hmm. to all of those. Okay. So for a leader who resists, the positive to that is they probably have good reasons, as Katie just explained, a very valid reason why she doesn't want students using AI in her program or her classes. So it's important to get some understanding, and whether we are direct reports or students or colleagues or on the other end, it communication is key in change. So it's imperative to dialogue, ask, find out, and it needs to be a reciprocal conversation about why, why not, right? But there are pros and cons. The person who resists can slow down processes, but they also can give very good reasons why this can be an obstacle or why there's something better. And I could give you the pros and cons or advantages and disadvantages to any of those, but to your question, break them down. I'm not sure that's a good way, but to dialogue and to find out what's the deal. And to the point of the pros and cons, there's going to be an appropriateness for each of these, too. And so sometimes you need to be malleable. Uh, And I think that's an important lesson for employees is to use the level of resistance that's right in a situation. And so if you are in a company that's trying to implement a really unethical change, you might want to quit because you don't want to be unethical. Uh, that you might not be somebody who's normally resistant to change. You might be super open to change, but you know, at times we have to draw that line in the sand. We might not know as a subordinate why our leader is resisting because it could be something higher up where there's a policy or you know, a privacy concern or something along those lines that we're not privy to. And so you know, there's sometimes things that we don't know on why and hopefully our manager is being as transparent as possible with us, but there could be more that they're not unpacking with us. But it's certainly the case that there's pros and cons and there's also an appropriateness to each of these things. And so, you know, as an employee, you need to walk in and, you know, sort of match the right situation. But if you're so fixed on always being a resistor, that's where it really becomes more of a problem. Okay, so would you say that if you're a company and you're not adapting, there's no right or wrong answer here, but if you're not adapting or using these emerging technologies like AI, can you still be competitive? Like if you resist to these technologies, can you still compete in markets as everyone else is kind of evolving? I think we need to look to history on this one. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think of two companies in, partic- in particular, Kodak is one of them and Blockbuster is the other. Kodak, with the advent of the digital camera, they didn't see that as being the direction to go. And we see the company that Kodak is today. It has, you know, decimated over time. And that's in a region that I grew up in. And, you know, that was a really sad decline in, you know, sort of the western New York, upstate New York type region. 
Blockbuster. Netflix came to them to try and sell online streaming, mm-hmm. and they did not see that as the wave of the future. Mm-hmm. I heard that they're starting up again, uh, <laughs> maybe, you know, but all their physical stores are gone, and they had the opportunity to jump on that as an early adopter. And so, you know, perhaps there's times where you don't want to go on with the latest fad, but if you're not following the changes and considering the changes, and it's due to fear of innovation, and fear of technology, that's where it's going to be a problem. Yes. You nailed it, <laughs> even with the companies that you've just given. To stay relevant, I really do think that we have to change with the changes. We don't have to do everything that someone is saying, like, this is the latest, but as evidenced with what she has just said, it's like, you got to change. Or you've got to have your own innovations that is going to be part of everybody else's change. Change or you get left behind. Well, how do you know? How do you know if, is this the one I need to jump on? Or Mm. no, maybe don't do this one. Hindsight 2020. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, I don't think that we have to do every fad, everything that comes up. I think that there are some technologies that started that haven't been necessarily successful. And there are startup companies right now that are trying to be the next, nothing's coming to mind immediately, but I see it all the time. I see it all the time. So you you don't have to take on that or every change in technology that's happening, but you gotta, I think companies that are the most competitive, the most, just the best companies, I think that they have a really good perspective on what's happening in the world, trying things a little bit, and and changing, being flexible to change with the changes. Yeah, and I think some of this comes to the size of companies too, right? A small mom and pop, are they going to be introducing all these really expensive <laughs> technologies? Probably not. But when we're starting to talk about really large companies, Fortune 500, Fortune 100 companies, you know, we're seeing a lot of the adoption of technology or feeling left behind. You know, I sit on a working group uh, for faculty that's like a corporate innovation type thing for a a local startup company. And some of the things I've seen come through in recent times are the integration of artificial intelligence into existing, you know, sort of platforms that they have to make hiring easier, to make training Mm -hmm. and development easier. If you can figure out what skills people are missing, you can create a pathway for them to gain that skills, to upskill them, to get them into a position higher within the company to get them to their aspirations. Mm -hmm. Augmented and virtual reality. If you can give people a more realistic scenario in training, you can give them the opportunity to go ahead and learn about what scenarios they might face in the workplace. And so, you know, I think those pieces end up being really important for those changes, but at the same time, a small company might not be able to afford to do that. But for a large company, it allows them to stay agile, to adapt. Mm -hmm. And you have to have a really good team around you that judges those different innovation pieces, that really thinks about whether they should go down that sort of rabbit hole. And, you know, a lot of those startups, they have use cases. They have, you know, what they think they offer value. And it's about doing your research and figuring out what your company needs. And that, I think, is the key, is what your company needs. Because if you are trying to adopt something in, you know, say, the legal arena, uh, and, you know, that's sort of your 
everything you do and all of a sudden you're trying to pull something in that is used in manufacturing. That might not be the right innovation. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so it's about figuring out the innovations that work for your company size, your industry, and all those pieces. It's so interesting because as Katie's talking, I'm just thinking – my mind is just kind of going with all of the technology that has changed over the years. I'm thinking Uber and Lyft, Mm -hmm. and I remember the first time doing that, just thinking like, okay, this is just kind of like a little fatty thing. I was in (laughs) Santa Barbara, you know, and it just seems like, oh, this is a fly-by-night. This is, it it has happened so hugely, right? We're getting in cars with strangers. We're allowing people to get in cars with us, you know, if you're a driver. DoorDash. I was just going to mention that. Yes. I mean, technology has changed how we do everything. I deliver classes online. While COVID was the most horrible thing, it actually taught people that technology really can keep us connected. And we even have culture in distance, right, because of technology. I don't see any of my colleagues in person except for maybe once every other year when we have conferences, and yet we have an amazing culture through technology. So it's... I'm just thinking about all of the changes, like, beyond the question. It's like, it's not stopping, and it creates the culture, and you got to figure out, like, if you're going to stay a part of, you know, the relevance of society. Yeah, and and to the COVID point, those really small companies, I've talked about large companies, thinking about small companies, that was where a lot of innovation was actually really necessary to keep restaurants open, to keep bartenders having a salary. You know, those individuals offered online wine classes, online bartending classes yeah. where, you know, they'd send alcohol or they'd tell people to pick up three bottles of wine and they would do sort of a guided wine tour. And it allowed them to make money and, you know, individuals to have a good time. And those companies that were willing to innovate and flip their business model overnight are the ones that were successful. And that was right. video technology. It was apps where yeah. you shifted towards using things like DoorDash or Chow Now and figuring out how do we keep a viable business model where they take a cut, but we still make enough as an organization. Yeah. And so there's a lot of pieces yeah. happening there. Yeah. Yeah. So let's say I'm a leader and I said, okay, fine, we'll try the change, we'll innovate. And we've started implementing different emerging technologies. And what if we reach a point where I'm starting to see, hmm, this might not be working. So I've agreed to the change, I've implemented the change, we're using AI, we're using Zoom, we got all these different tools, but I'm not seeing the growth or the change being successful. Is there some type of like change toolkit or, mm-hmm. you know, is there, what, what can I do as a leader to assess the change and the effectiveness of it? And then how can I kind of backtrack if it's not working out? One thing that I'm thinking as you're asking that question is a McKinsey study actually shows that only 27% of all change actually is successful. Wow, 27%? 27%, and they actually show that 70%, which is you know slightly different, but 70% of most change actually fails, right? So in that space where we're trying and it didn't work or it doesn't work, it's like we've got to figure out how do we persist and how do we, because something that I didn't mention, well, I kind of, I guess I really did. When, we, when change is introduced, there's going to be a drop in productivity and things are going to cost, quality might be impacted, a lot of things, until people can figure out and get oriented with what's happening. So then they say, okay, I'm going to try. What you're talking about is we're trying. In that I'm trying space, that's where most of the change fails. 
because it's almost like we tried and it didn't work. So it's taken one step forward and a couple steps backward. And it really is so important to figure out what have we done that did work? What are the small successes that we had? What are the insights that we have figured out like this is not good, it doesn't. And you've got to figure out like how do we at least, because we got to, that change curve, I just talked about a drop, try to figure out how do we go back up. Um, and the best goal is to make the dip shallower and shorter. And in that, it requires a lot of dialogue. It requires understanding that we're experiencing. Change is a very emotional experience. Yeah. <laughs> so we could talk about technology. We could talk about all of the technical pieces of it. But people are behind it. So it really is understanding, like, how are you feeling? Mm -hmm. What worked? What's frustrating to you? What's one thing that you feel you know, we could do to get back on track? Because what happens is, What's the worst case scenario is a lot of organizations, a lot of um, teams can't even get back to where they were. Mm -hmm. It's worse. Before they tried to try Before to implement the Before they change. tried to implement the change. So <clears throat> it really, and, and it could be completely derailing to an organization. I mean, some change initiatives have caused organizations to just close, wow. right? Because they weren't successful with this particular change, okay. right? So I think that it is just the human part of interacting, persisting, checking in, motivating. It's a very psychological experience, I think, and it just, we can't escape the people part of. So when you ask, is there this kit? I don't know that there's this kit, but it certainly is getting very skilled in communicating well, engaging people in the process of the solutions. The leader doesn't have to have all of the answers. If you want to keep people involved, as we said before, it's keeping them in helping to understand the solutions. Because typically when change is introduced, whether it's technology, whatever the change happens to be, it's been thought about, people have talked about it for weeks or months or even years, and they're saying, we're going to do this. and when people get it, you know, it's like you can't just make something change that quickly. Yeah. So you got to keep the people part of it up front and center. That's what I would say. Yeah, the emotions piece I think is really important. And I, you know, I think it's interesting. A lot of people often jump to, well, people are scared of change. You know, there's that fear of, you know, just fear in general, right? Mm -hmm. Things are going to be worse. I might lose my job. My day is going to be different, all of these different things. But there's also sometimes hope involved, right? And so if you're in a bad situation and there's change, you might be excited. And so those conversations become so important because if you are trying to implement the change and it's not going well, people who were afraid to begin with are going to continue to feel afraid. Mm -hmm. People who, who are hopeful might start to have the biggest dips mm -hmm. there because they're starting to see that you know, the effort is futile. It's not going to go where you were sort of hoping for. And so those conversations become really important and involving people to the extent possible and being transparent will be really helpful because the behind the scenes conversations might be, are we escalating commitment into a failing course of action or have we not put enough time into this change initiative or do we need to adapt? Do we need to fine tune the change? Are we doing something that might not be working for our company. And so those conversations become so important of figuring out why isn't it working here? And if we make some small changes, is it going to get better? Or do we maybe need to abandon and try to rebuild the trust? Because that dip where it gets worse 
is often because employees were all in on the change. Mm-hmm. Okay. And yeah. all of a sudden, the company's pulled back. You invested. You sort of had this contract with the company. You're going to do what they're asking you to do with the change, and it's going to get hopefully better. And it's gotten worse. And so how do you build that trust back up? Mm-hmm. That's going to be a challenge. And I guess, like, it makes me think about what you guys were mentioning about, like, error. We haven't really spoken too much about that. In AI, like you said, a citation being incorrect. Like, imagine if you're working in a consulting firm and you're trying to use AI to do client work and you submit something with an error. And your client finds this error. So now, as an employee, I, I adapted this change. You, I did what you said to do. There's an error. It's supposed to be right. I didn't know. They didn't know. And how that impacts the company. Like you said, people can go out of business. You lose that client trust. So it's like, how do you find that balance in between doing the change, accounting for error that's not on your fault without having that, I'm afraid I might lose my job now over something that you encouraged me to use. Mm -hmm. And I haven't heard too many people talk about the training with some of these technologies, for instance, AI. They're just like, go use AI. We got to start doing it and using it. But what about the training piece? How do, how, do, how do we account for that when implementing change, specifically AI? How do you train your employees how to use these new tools? Yeah, I mean, this is, this is going to be tough, right? You need to know mm-hmm. the software, the technology <laughs> you're implementing. And I, I would say that you need to do it in a low-stakes environment to start. And so I would not use it the first time you're using it with a client, right? A billion-dollar contract. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Don't, don't use it with an external client to start, right? Do internal testing. That should be the first piece. Okay. You should feel confident. Your employees should feel confident. If you're asking them to do a new skill and they don't have the skill set, you should be teaching the skill set. And that's all about change evolving. Uh, we are constantly teaching our employees new things. When they walk into a company, they don't know what they need to do. You're teaching them tasks. You're teaching them everything that they need to know. And so... It's just going to be a new way of teaching people the technology that they need. But, I mean, I can't stress enough not testing it on a big client and perhaps even being forthright with the client and saying we're doing a lot of safeguard checks. Uh, But acknowledging that AI is a part of your process could be something that helps. But those safeguards that you put in place are going to be really important. Training that you put in place is going to be important. And low-stakes testing is going to be really important. And that's why there is the slowdown when we're getting acclimated to change. Because for all of those reasons. That's awesome. Thank you. That was great. So I guess before we wrap up here, is there any, like, advice that you want to leave with leaders about how they can adapt to emerging technologies being put into the workplace, whether it's from their their employees or their leaders, how can they evolve and adapt and respond to these emerging technologies? Any last words you want to leave? Well, I would say as much as technology is advancing and changing and it is not going to stop, remember that people are still behind technology and people make change happen. So big thing that I always think about with AI is that it's people still behind that. So even with adapting to change whatever the technology happens to be, remember, people are behind it and we cannot miss that. And we don't have to have degrees in change management or psychology, but we've got to understand the people part should never go away from change or technology. Yeah, I want to go back to where I started, which is technology has been evolving for millennia, centuries, and decades. And so we have been experiencing technology changes over time. And yes, the technology changes feel different 
today, but automation was another big technology change that, you know, happened a few decades ago in, say, the automotive industry in particular. And, you know, as a society, we've figured out how to pick the pieces back up and keep people employed. And so it's about figuring out how we upskill our workforce and teach them the new skills to be there. Because when we might have a job being replaced by, say, artificial intelligence, something is often being created to be a part of that process. And so recognizing the limitations of technology, recognizing the advantages or opportunities with it, being open to the technology, and again, putting your people first and recognizing that people make the place. Robots might now be a part of the story, Mm -hmm. uh, but people still make the place. That's awesome. Thank you guys both for being here. This was an absolute phenomenal conversation. I had a great time. Katie, Marche, I really do appreciate it sitting here talking with me about change, leadership, change management. I learned so many different things. Thank you listeners for being here with us today. Tuning into another episode of the Intersection Podcast. I invite you to subscribe, like, and review. If you love what we're doing here, make sure you leave us a review and tell us how wonderful we're doing. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you.